Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 15, Flesh versus Spirit, Part 1, Romans 8, verses 5 through 17. There is an absolute cage match going on between the two realities believers face, the flesh and the spirit. It's something the Apostle Paul makes a big deal about, as does Jesus. This week on Romans Untangled, we're going to unpack Romans 8, 5 to 17, and we're going to do this in two parts. But this one is we're going to focus in on what is this actual ancient battle that we are still living every single day today, what's it really talking about? Pastor Steve Treichler here of Hope Community Church. I hope you're doing well. We are still getting fake spring up here. If you know what that is, if you're from the upper Midwest, you know what that's like. We get a a day of it, and then we put all our winter clothes away, and then it goes back to snowing. And so today is one of those miserable days, but I I think tomorrow's going to be a little bit better. If you remember right, we're starting off each episode here, just kind of hitting into theological terms, some theological concepts. We've been looking at the Ordo Salutis, which is a big fancy Latin phrase, which just basically means the order of salvation from the way God sees it. Election, God's choosing of people, that he is the one who is working in people's lives that they would come to him. The gospel call, the proclamation of the gospel. We looked at regeneration or what does it mean to be born again. And then we're actually going to look at that. We're going to rejoin that because that's when we get unified with Christ. That's going to be the last thing we look at on kind of our 12th installment of this series, of this little order of salvation. Conversion, which is where we, by our own free will, choose to follow Christ by repentance and faith. Justification, which means we have a right standing with God. Adoption, which means we're now actually members in God's family. So beautiful. We're going to see that as we read through the passage today as well. Sanctification, which just means now there's something that happens in our lives where God moves in us and we we walk according to his ways. We have orthopraxy is the fancy theological term, which just means right practice or right conduct. And it's in a way, not because we have to, but because we get to, because of what Christ has done for us. And then last week, we looked at the issue of perseverance or preservation. And again, it's a little bit of both. It's perseverance, but it's also preservation, what God's doing for us. This week, I'm going to talk about one that maybe not everybody talks about in their order of salvation, but it's this idea of death. Okay, and so for uh, many of us, we will face uh, physical death in our lives. Now, I know that matters how you understand the second coming of Christ and how the, if there's a rapture or not, or believe me, I'm not going to get into that in this series. You can uh, email anyone else at Hope, and they will tell you exactly what to believe about that. But if Christ does come back and it takes us, some of us won't feel death that way. But for most of us and most of humanity, up until this point in time, we go through death. Now, it's interesting, as I looked at theologies and different concepts, I even looked at my fancy Logos Bible here and did a check in the word death. No one gives a definition of it. Isn't that fascinating? It's like, well, just, we just assume what it is. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, so let's just look at three particular passages on this issue, and then we'll come up to a definition, okay? First off. What is, what is uh, death or where does it get introduced? It gets introduced right in chapter 2 
of the book of Genesis. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So he wasn't a living being, and he became a living being, okay? Then if you skip down to verse 15 of that chapter, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. They do eat of it. It only takes one chapter. I hope there was at least weeks or maybe months or some period of time that we can enjoy the Garden of Eden, but I don't know. Somewhere, at least in the, in the narrative story we're given, it happens real quickly, and a curse is given, telling them, here's what life is going to be like now that you have eaten from the tree. It gives a curse to the, the serpent, a curse to the woman, and then he looks at Adam and tells him what's going to happen. And it ends by verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. It says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. So this is a new concept for Adam. Obviously. I don't even know what death is. Death is not even in the world. Um, and so all of a sudden now, something about, I'm going to go back to this, I was, I was not a living being, I became a living being, but I'm going back to that. Romans chapter 5, a passage we looked at. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death comes through sin, and in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. So in other words, it's not just Adam and Eve, but everybody by nature from Adam and by choice, we've chosen sin. This happens to all of us. We're all going through a period of death. But the Bible makes clear that that's not the end of your soul. That's not the end of your your life. And so you see these people that have died, and just to make a, a, a long story here very short, we're going to go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. And these people who have gone through physical death are now standing before the throne, and they're followers of Christ. And it says this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. And he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Okay, that's Eden language. We're going back to the garden is what it's going to be like. And then it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. Huge thing here, old order. The way things were in this old world, old creation, was sin came in and death came with it. The old order of things has passed away. Okay? So here's what we're going to take. First thing is, uh, and it's one of my big pet peeves, when I go to a funeral and someone says the Lion King line that uh, it's all the circle of life and it's it's just that, you know, it's a natural part of living is death. I just want to stand up and scream, no way. That is not natural. Death is not natural. <laughs> it is not created by God. It's something that happened because of sin. And one day there will be no more death. Okay, so very clear I want to make it clear that death is not natural. But it is the absence of life in the human body. 
the human soul keeps on continuing on. That's what we're going to talk about in this order of salvation uh, next week when we get to looking at the issue of the intermediate state. What happens to those who die right now, but it's before Christ has come back? Um, it's it's like saying, uh, what is darkness? You know, what is it when you're out in the middle of the woods and it's a cloudy night, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's no uh, light pollution from any city. What is this darkness? And how do you explain darkness? And the only way to explain darkness is it's the absence of life. And that's the only way to explain death. It's, it, it's a hard word to describe because it's used, it can only be described by the negative. In other words, it's the absence of life, but it's the absence of life in the physical human body. And it is something we're all going to go through. Now, the interesting thing, one of my elders just shared this with them. I'll just shout him out. Uh, Bart Carey said, I thought this was fantastic. He said, you know what? As a believer in Jesus, we don't have to fear death because death now means that we'll be with Christ, right? That's true. He says, I don't fear death. I do kind of fear dying though. And I thought that was really profound because dying is not natural and none of us want to go ahead and do that. And none of us said, you'd not talk to anyone and said, yeah, it was no big deal. I went through dying and death and no big deal, right? <laughs> it's an unknown and we're all, we're all, we're, it's something that we don't look forward to and nor should we because we're not created to die. We're, it's, a, it's a fish out of water. We're made to live. We're made to be God breathing into us, living uh, breath and we live. But now because of the fall, we're going to die. Now, that death does not get the last say. It, it just, Easter Sunday was just a few weeks ago. Death no longer has mastery over Christ, and death no longer has mastery over those who believe in Christ. So it's a huge deal. At the same time, you got to be real about this. If you go to a funeral, I mean, it just, it just feels wrong. In 2016, my father passed away, and uh, it was the first person who was really close to me. Uh, my, Carol's dad died in 2004. That's my wife. And I, I, I knew him, but I wasn't like super tight with him. But my old man, man, I, I, if, if, you, if you appreciate my humor, it comes from my old man. If you don't appreciate my humor, it comes from my old man. And even that joke right there is from my old man. So, uh, you know, he, he had a big influence on me. And when he died in 2016, it, something profoundly happened to me that I hadn't realized. I, I I went through a series of pretty significant grief, probably a two-year process, really, of grieving. And I'd say I still do to some degree. Why? Because it's not natural. It's not, we're not made for it. Okay, let's get on to Romans here. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to dive into Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 17. What we're going to do today, all we're going to do today is we're going to look at the whole passage, 5 to 17, and all we're going to do is look at what's he, what's he talking about here. We're going to hone in on one, uh, well, actually two phrases, but they kind of are spirit, uh, flesh versus spirit. And what's he talking about there? That's the whole game. That's the whole uh, uh, plan for today. Next week, we'll kind of go through the passage and talk more about individual verses and all that. But let me read it. And then we'll dive in with our with our big question for the day. Here we go. For those who live according to the flesh, by the way, today I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I like their translation of this, and I'll share why next week when I look at verse 12 with you. He says, For those who walk, excuse me, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. 
but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to law, God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. This is key in understanding this passage. Romans 8, verse 1, uh, all through 4, says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, and we said, we we made a big deal about this last week, that this is no condemnation of those in Christ because Christ has filled up both paying for our penalty of sin, but also filled up our bank account with his righteousness for the righteous deeds he did so that we, without doing a single thing other than trusting him, receive this, right? But the, the, the reason I bring this up is because it's it's launching into this last paragraph here, excuse me, this last uh, uh, part of the sentence. It says, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's going to launch off that and to go all the way from verses 5 to 17. That's what this is linking to, okay? Now, what I want to look at next in the passage is just there's this there's these contrasts here, okay? There's huge contrasts. I I geeked out on that this morning and I actually made a chart. I took the whole passage and I put one column which is where all the flesh things are and I made another column where all the spirit things are. I'm going to walk you through that in just a moment. But before I do that, I I want you to see that in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, this idea of flesh and spirit is not only in the book of Romans. Okay, it actually goes back, Jesus talks about this. So in John chapter 3, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, and he tells him, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to To spirit, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And in John chapter 6, he has this whole period where he teaches about you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, which basically means you need to take, completely take 
my uh, death on the cross, you need to take that as your own in order to be with me. Some are like, what is he talking about? And they're out of there. It says this in John 6, verse 61. It says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend it to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. So there's, there's this kind of this dynamic going on here. In Jesus speaking, he says there's this flesh and there's a spirit. And the flesh is, it's a lot of things, right? If you, if you look biblically on the issue of flesh and you look up uh, just the definition of this word, the word is sarx, S-A-R-X. Okay, and it has a very, it has some very simple meanings. It can literally mean the soft tissue we have, flesh and bone, right? We would say that. Uh, it can also just mean uh, the, the, the condition, the physical body we have with its limitations, right? Now, in that, that's something where um, uh, it, it can be described as this is the flesh is opposed to to God. It runs away from God, all right? It's the bearer of sinful feelings and desires, as well as the means of like sensuality. That's fleshly, right? That we'd say that phrase, right? And so the 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 Apostle Paul picks up on that, and th- they would say that, and even remember Romans 7, when we looked at this, he says that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh, he says in Romans 7, verse 18. So that this idea of flesh is something that's a bent away from God. It's more than just my physical body. It's this kind of, this part of me that is bent away from God and wants to go after desires that are not um, of God. Okay, so if you pick that concept up in the book of Galatians, Paul, all over the map, talks about this. Galatians 3, uh, starting in verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now, that's fascinating what he's saying. That's Galatians 3, uh, 1 to 3. He's saying, because the issue in Galatians is these Gentiles who are thinking about becoming Jewish and getting themselves circumcised and following the law in order to be made right with God. And Paul here says that that's not the way of the Spirit. That's the way of flesh or sin. You want to justify yourself. You're actually rejecting Christ and saying, I can be my own savior. Isn't that fascinating? Because when we think of flesh, we think of like drug, sex, and rock and roll. And Paul here in Galatians is actually saying, dude, the thing you're struggling with is religion and being really good. (laughs) That's fleshly, he says, right? So he goes on in Galatians 5 and says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit. This is 5 verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit 
and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And here, once again, he connects this concept of being of flesh, and that's where I just do, I want to do what I want. In this case, he's saying, it's because you wanted to follow religion. You wanted to make yourself right with God. Okay, then he goes on to say in verse 19 that there's all these other ways the flesh acts. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, on and on and on. Okay, he goes, he says this, and he says there's a difference between that and then in verse 22, but he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And then he goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, so uh, we could keep going on. There's other passages, but I think you get the big idea here. There's this thing going on with flesh and spirit in the Bible, in Jesus, in the Apostle Paul. Peter talks about it as well. And that there's this, and uh, uh, John in, in 1 John. First John, Second John, First John talks about this as well. So, if we just look at this passage, and what I did is I just made a chart, <laughs> You're a total geek, but I made a chart and I listed the passages, and I just want to list. We're going to go right through the verses. So, verse five, it says there's a mindset that is on the fleshly things, but those who are of the spirit have the mindset on spiritual things. Verse six, this mindset is death, but the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, the mindset is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so, right? So this, this mindset of the flesh does not want to follow the ways of God, even though they might say they do, like in the book of Galatians, they can't because the flesh has no power to do so. It's unable. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God if you're in the flesh. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, he's saying. So there's something about something that happens when a person becomes a believer that takes you out of this in the flesh. And the, what, what is the difference here is the next part of that verse. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So the difference of being in the flesh and in the spirit is if the spirit of God lives in you. That's the point. He goes on in verse 10. Now, if Christ is in you, right, then he says something about the flesh. The body is dead because of sin. So right now, even though we walk, and this is the difficult part of the Christian life, if you're brand new to Jesus or you're thinking about following Jesus, I'm going to tell you the worst news ever. And the worst news ever is that, is that although Christ died for our sin, rose again, and we've been raised with him, our body is dead because of sin. So this flesh we now have, our body, this, we still have this part of us that's old creation. And it wants to drag us down. It's part of who I am, except that, that's going to die. And when my, my spirit, my soul is going to be set free from this. I saw this in the end of chapter 7. Who will set me free from this body of death? And it's Christ, right? 
But he says, he goes on to talk about the Spirit, and he says, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, and if the Spirit of, of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Your mortal body will get, after it dies, will be raised back, just like Jesus' body You'll have a new body and one body that it's no longer susceptible to sin. It's crazy. It honestly is crazy. You're going to have this new life with a new body. I'm hoping, uh, I, I, you know, in my mind's eye, I'm about 22 and skinny once again. Um, still be able to cut the, a real good goatee and all that kind of thing. And I, I, this is going to be a killer body, right? Goes on to talk about what happens to those of us who are in the spirit. It says, you're not obligated to the flesh anymore. We don't have an obligation to follow this. Because then he goes on, he says, if, but if you live in that realm, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, right? For all those who are God's, or God's spirit are, first, excuse me, verse 14, for all those who are led by God's spirit, are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You're going to suffer in this life because you still have a body of death. You still have a body that is susceptible to old creation, susceptible to the flesh. Now, if I, I wish you could see my chart here because I would just blacken out the one side, which is the flesh and say, that's not you. That's not you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've come to that point in your life where you say yes to him, that's not you anymore. It's an identity marker. I want to go back to something that we 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 looked at last week in verse four of of Romans uh, eight eight four, and um, I want to read um, Douglas Moo on this. I read from from quite a bit from him last week, but I want to read one more. And he says this. He says um, in this passage, flesh and spirit. This is quoting on verse four. Stand over against each other, not as parts of a person, an anthropological dualism. <laughs> Big words there. Basically meaning it's like two parts of you, flesh and spirit. He's saying in this passage, actually, it's talking about something a little bit different. There is this two parts to us, flesh and spirit, certainly. But here he's leaning in on it's something different. Okay, back to the quote. Nor even as impulses or powers within a person, but as the powers or dominating features of the two realms of salvation history. To walk according to the flesh, then, is to have one's life determined and directed by the values of this world, of the world in rebellion against God. It is a lifestyle that is purely human in its orientation. To walk according to the Spirit, on the other hand, is to live under the control and according to the values of the new age, created and dominated by God's Spirit, as his eschatological gift, uh, big fancy words are meaning the way God, the way Christ has come in and has inaugurated, has brought in his kingdom, and it starts right now, already, it's here, it's the beginning, this eschatos word, or eschatologist means the end. Eschatos is a fancy word meaning end times or the end. 
that that comes in, it ushers in the new kingdom that will find fulfillment and completion at the return of Christ. Okay? So what he's saying here is now, we're really talking about two eras. This living by the flesh and living by the spirit is really talking about old creation reality, not going back to Adam and Eve in the garden because that's the way creation should be, but this is talking about fallen humanity. All of the fall until the time of Christ. When Christ comes, he ushers in a new kingdom and a new spirit, uh, excuse me, a new age, the age of the spirit, to walk according to the spirit. It's a different whole thing. And the difference is that this verse in verse four is not indicating the means by which you fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. How do you do that? Well, I fulfill those by walking and doing really good things. No, it's not the means or, or the fancy word where it be the instrument. It's not the instrument. It's not the means. It's the identification. Those who are of Christ, those who are in Christ, those who live by the Spirit, those who put to death the misdeeds of the body, all the same thing. What does that mean? The Christian, those who have trusted Christ, that's what it means to be in the Spirit, right? Now, so in other words, this passage has to be understood as this war that that is going on between these two eras. And if you're a follower of Christ right now, I've got great news for you. The great news is this. You are not obligated to the flesh anymore, to the old creation reality. To the, You're not obligated any longer to it. And here's the bad news. You are a new creation person in an old creation world. You, you live by the Spirit. You're made alive in the Spirit but you live in an age where there's a lot of influences and you walk in this world and that creates a lot of tension. This week was just to unpack this passage to see what it is and it's really talking about two realms, two different uh, eras of, of, of time that we live in. One is the spirit and one is the flesh. Believers live in the spirit age. Next week, we're going to unpack this and get very practical. What does this mean then? How do you live as a new creation person in an old creation world. We'll see you next week on Romans Untangled.